Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Jeff Peterson. Before we get to Jeff, I have a few announcements, as always. First, go to our website. That's TravelTalesPodcast.com. You can go there. You can see stories that I've written. You can see some stories that the guests have written. You can see photos of our guests. You can see links to their social media. And you can see links to our social media. And by that, of course, I mean... Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. There's links to our Facebook page. There's links to iTunes and Stitcher Radio, where you can subscribe for free. And as always, I ask you that if you are on those platforms, please give us a good rating, because that helps more people find the show by boosting our presence. And that's always a cool thing. Hey, do you want to write me? Maybe you want to say a few nice things. Maybe you want to recommend someone for the show. Maybe you could recommend yourself for the show. Either way, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Okay, we got another shipboard interview right now. Back in December, I was performing on the Eurodam, Holland America Eurodam. And my fellow guest entertainer that week was Jeff Peterson, a magician who also does some comedy. Comedy magician, I guess you'd call him. But he's been at the game a long time, and he's been at the cruise game a long time. So... We got to talking over the couple weeks we were working together, and I found out he had been just about everywhere on the planet, and he had some good travel tales, and he was a nice guy to boot. So one afternoon while we were at shore in Mexico, I invited Jeff to stop by and record a podcast. Please enjoy my conversation with comedy magician Jeff Peterson. Here with Jeff Peterson, magician, comedian, extraordinaire, world traveler, let's say. Jeff, how many years have you been doing cruise ships? 27 years. 27 years, which is odd, because you're only a 29-year-old man. Exactly. I started at a very young age. <laughs> yes. When people ask you what you do, do you say you're more of a, do you say comedy magician, or do you say magician or comedian? What do you say? I said don't do much, really. <laughs> but uh, no, I'm, I'm a comedy magician. I do a, a few illusions, but mostly a comedy magician. You're originally, you're a California native, is that right? Uh, I grew up in Indiana, but I moved to California in 1978, I guess. Whoa. So yeah. 40 years now. Welcome. We consider that a native now yeah. for California. <laughs> so what was your impression of California when you first moved there? As a young man, was it was it to was it a showbiz move or was it just a lifestyle move or both? Uh, it was actually I was into photography back then. I went to Brooks Institute of Photography, which was the best uh, college for photography in the world at the time. Where's so that? Uh, it was in Santa Barbara. It just closed this year, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah. So uh, that's what I went for. And my first impression of California was, wow, are the women good looking? 
Because <laughs> I grew up in Indiana, and uh, you know, the Midwest, the women are a little more sedentary in the winter, and uh, they're not quite as fit. Maybe I guess. Yeah, yeah I don't know. That's the first thing I noticed. Was the <laughs> there was a difference. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, Santa Barbara too. I mean, that's. I mean, you're going to like it looks like the south of France. It's one of the most beautiful places, certainly in the country and the world. I mean, your your head must have blown off from there. From Indiana? Definitely. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's a night and day from Indiana weather to Santa Barbara weather. Yeah. I never, never, ever thought about going back to Indiana after that. So when did the magic start? Uh, I, uh, I I dropped out of photography school to make some money. I was working in the oil fields and uh, I did that for a few years. They uh, closed the domestic operations, offered me a choice of moving to Canada or take a severance package. And uh, I took the cash and uh but just before that i had been hanging out in bakersfield uh working up there in the oil field and i I just started hanging out in a comedy club and got the bug to do that and while i was first trying out stand-up uh they had a magician come in and entertain between shows and i kind of got the bug to do stand-up i met david strassman who was a ventriloquist he had done magic as a kid he got me started in magic and i got obsessed with it so right about the time i lost the oil field gig i decided to you know just go full into it and uh uh, there's a guy named harry capehart was booking a few clubs up the west coast and uh he started me. I never had to open a club ever. I, I started out as a middle act because I had 30 minutes of magic already. I could just jump right in as a middle act. And I started traveling the country as a middle act doing magic and uh, pretty quickly got into headlining. And then, boom, cruise ships not long after that. So, uh, and I. Cruise ships was definitely a better gig, and I got to travel better places, make more money, and just stayed with it. I got in way before most people, and, uh, you know, I was back in that era when everybody went, ah, you must be a hack if you work in the ships, and it wasn't long after that, they're all going, uh, how do you get that gig? <laughs> well, you were poised, because I, I started comedy in, like, 90, 91, so right when I, I missed the, the entire 80s comedy boom. So I got, like, as soon as I started, about six months later, half the clubs I started in around Chicago were closed. So I watched it. <laughs> I heard the stories from you guys, though. So that must have been wild. I mean, just all of a sudden, they talk like you did because they said, yeah, I had 30 minutes and boom, I was on the road. And it just, it happened so quick. So who were the guys on the scene that you remember opening for? I mean, you must have worked, was it mostly comedy clubs or were these magic places? Uh, no, they were these were all comedy clubs. I worked a couple of magic clubs. Uh, Houston had the Mag- Magic Island. I worked down there a few times. I worked. Uh, um, they had um, Wizards on the Universal City Walk there in, in Hollywood, which was a really beautiful club. Um, but the magic clubs were a few and far between. Uh, but the comedy clubs were plentiful back then. And so since I never had to open, uh, there's comedy clubs everywhere. I could just jump in. Work was plentiful back then. And I don't even remember really any of the acts that I worked with because, you know, they're all probably, you know, insurance salesmen now. Uh, <laughs> <you know. laughs> I don't think any of them probably were able to maintain when the clubs went, you know, downhill. So, uh, yeah, it's a very strange thing. What was the first ship you did? Uh, wow. Let's see. Um, that, that's kind of a tricky thing to say because I did um, the very first ship I did was uh, the Queen Mary in wow. Lo- in Long Beach, but it wasn't sailing. 
they had already pulled it from sailing, but that was my first gig on a ship, actually. Uh, and I did a whole summer on that, uh, which was kind of fun, actually. Um, How many shows a week was that? Uh, I did, uh, I can't remember, like two or three a day. Uh, every day is just, you know, for the tourists coming through. And uh, But it was very similar to being out here. They had a, a dance cast, and, and uh, they put me in the middle of a dance show, and so I got working with dancers, and it was very similar to working out here, really. It was good good little introduction to it. And then uh, the um, the guy who ran the club in Bakersfield, Paul Messier, uh, was, became the uh, guy running the improv in San Diego. And while he was doing that, uh, cruise line out of San Diego asked him if he'd book a ship down there. And so he called me up. And so I did a, a ship out of San Diego that just did like seven in the morning till 10 at night, little cruise down to Ensenada and back. And uh, that was a hoot. So uh, that got me got me started doing that. Yeah. How in the 20, was it 29 years you said you've been doing? 27 years you've been doing cruises. How have the cruise lines changed, and how have the shows and audiences changed, in your opinion? Oh, wow, they've all changed a lot. It's, it's, everything about it is changing constantly. It's, the, the only thing constant about this business is change. Uh, it's, it's different now. It, uh, you know, it's just like air travel. You know, people used to dress up for it. And just on ships, same thing. Uh, people would all be dressed for formal night in the old days, and it's not like that at all anymore. Uh, it used to be more expensive to travel. People had a lot more respect for it, I think. And it's gotten way cheaper. Anybody can cruise now. And so it's they don't care to dress up as much. It's just more casual. And uh, it's, it's oddly going back to more of the first class and steerage kind of thing. There's the, you know, the people with a lot of money kind of want to go back to that, you know, first class kind of thing. And then the other people just want to come out and party. And so it's, it's really interesting. And there's a lot of different lines, a lot of different options for everybody. So, you know, there's a cruise for anybody's taste. Uh, so it's, it's all very different. Audiences are different. Depends on where you're cruising, what line you're cruising. Uh, we all have our favorite audiences, you know, different lines, so, um, but the, you want to admit your favorite? No, no, <laughs> definitely not. But you know, I, it doesn't really matter which line I find good and bad things about every line I work. You know, some lines have better food, some better cabins, some just treat you nicer. Some have better crowds, some pay you better. It's, it's a trade off every way you look. So everybody's done cruises and I know I have, like when I was starting out, I, uh, I got pulled aside for a language thing. Was there ever a point where you crossed the line and like a cruise director or somebody pulled you over and said, hey, uh, none of that? No, I, I never had that uh, on a ship, fortunately. Uh, started out in clubs, a magic club. I, uh, I worked. I, I got in trouble because I was supposed to uh, stay clean and I, I, I said shit on stage. And, uh, <laughs> and I caught myself and said, oh, fuck, I said shit. And then I said, oh, shit, I said fuck. And... <laughs> And then I got pulled aside after the show. Yeah. 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 But, uh, yeah, that was a good lesson. And then Dave Strassman himself uh, had been headlining all over the U.S. doing clubs. And he, he you know, stopped me because I was just starting out. And he said, you know, I've been headlining for years and I want to move to television. And, and uh, he said that, you know, I have to rewrite my whole act now to do that. And if I you know, had it to do over, I'd start clean and stay clean. And so it was a good because i had started really dirty <laughs> that, that's where my mind went you know 
So uh, I, I really did. I, I cleaned up my act, and I, I, it really was great advice. And so I, I've stayed pretty clean. Um, I worked for one line where I did quite a bit of innuendo, and I, I got a lot of laughs, and it worked. And then I came to Holland America, and I found that that innuendo did not go over well. Uh, there there was be a grandma in the audience somewhere who she would get the innuendo, and even though it's going over the heads of the kids, she gets the joke. She doesn't think it's appropriate to do that type of material while there's kids in the room even though the kid doesn't get it she doesn't appreciate it and i'd get hammered in the comments so i even took out the innuendo so what are you gonna do so getting to the travel portion of the before you had gone on cruises i don't know what the way your family traveled or anything growing up but had you left the country had you done any kind of traveling outside the country before you started doing cruises? No, I really hadn't traveled much outside the country. I'd done a little bit of Mexico, I guess, uh, but that's about it. Uh, Dave Strassman had uh, started booking um, a gig in Alaska and, and sent me up there. Uh, and <laughs> he said, uh, oh, you're going to love it. Uh, it's in a uh, topless, bottomless strip joint. <laughs> and uh, you get one of the uh, strippers to take you out and show you the glacier. And so I get there, and all the strippers are all living in one trailer together. They spend all their money on drugs, and uh, none of them had a car, so nobody's taking me anywhere. I didn't see any glacier. Of course, now, working ships, I've seen the glaciers so many times, I don't even care. But uh, Which was this, Juno or Anchorage? It was Anchorage. Yeah. And uh, it was really interesting because uh, they would strip up until a certain time, and then they would stop, and they'd run all the riffraff out. And then the, the couples would come in to see the comedy. And uh, as soon as the headliner finished, the girls would come out and start stripping again. And the women would all jump up and drag their husbands out. <laughs> it was uh, kind of surreal, actually. Very strange place. I don't know if you're a country counter, but how have you ever sat down and, and figured out how many countries you've been to now? Uh, I did at one point. There's a, an app, I think, on Facebook or something that I went through. I don't remember what the count was now. Uh, the scary thing is, was when I applied for global entry, and I went down to Los Angeles Airport and did my interview, and the guy said, uh, what countries have you been to? <laughs> and I said, can I just list the ones I've not been to? That would be so much easier. And I was there for like an hour and a half trying to list the countries that I'd been to. It was very, very hard. I got mine at LAX, and I don't—I didn't have to go through it all. I think they just asked me what I did and why I had why I was leaving the country all the time, and I just told them. And they never had me list them all because that would have taken forever. My mine was like fifteen minutes. My whole interview. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I got the guy on a bad day. I don't know what, but it it was really insane. Maybe because some of my countries were Yemen and Oman and places like that. Maybe they wanted more of a <laughs> detailed, you know. But uh, yeah, it was it was very difficult to come up with all those countries, and because I've been pretty much anywhere you can go by water, I've been there. So yeah, it was something. Even then some in between you know <laughs> so well, i've heard more than one i've interviewed more than one uh, magician on here and each one of them seems to have a story where the, at some point whether it's police or immigration or something like that they've had to do like a card trick or something to prove that they were a comedian or a magician do you ever have to do that oh yes of course yeah yeah we, we all travel with very dubious looking stuff 
And uh, so they're always going to, to question that. Um, the one problem I had is that I, to this day, I do a trick. Of course, now I travel by cargo for most of my shows, so I don't have to fly in with the stuff. It's a little easier. But um, I flew into Australia with a trick that uh, uses a blank gun. And uh, they found the blanks, and which actually not allowed to travel with now anyway uh, but uh the guy asked you know you have the gun for this so i showed him the gun and they were going to take me to jail and i showed him that the the gun had a solid barrel it's not capable of firing a projectile etc but he said doesn't matter it, it looks real you could hold up a taxi driver or something and and so convincing him that i was a magician and not a taxi robber <laughs> was a challenge and i spent an extra hour there you know tap dancing my way out of that doing magic tricks and you, you know yeah, oh several yeah trying to <laughs> convince them and i was lucky that it was australia and not singapore because uh first offense possession of a handgun in singapore is punishable by death so uh yeah <laughs> So I, I don't uh, I don't travel uh, with that like that anymore. Um, it's uh, it's much easier when I just now since I have a dog in my show, they try to book me in and out of U.S. ports or or at least Canada or Mexico, so I don't have to sweat it as much. But flying into some of those ports with that right. kind of stuff, dodgy. You also have a cannon. I don't. Does that is that a problem? <laughs> no, it's funny. You know, they hassle jugglers about their machetes, but I can travel with guns and cannons. <laughs> no problem. Was there a country that you remember that you went to for the first time that really kind of just kind of blew your mind that it was totally different than what you expected? Uh, I think probably Egypt was the most impactful on me. Um, that and and Venice. Venice, I, I really loved. Um, I remember calling my agent at the time when I went to Venice and he said, ah, yes, Venice, the only place in the world you can be romantic all by yourself. <laughs> and, uh, I, I found that very true. You walk around and it's a very romantic city. Uh, and um, my wife and I were actually married there because uh, it, it, it is. Yeah, we, we were married in a gondola. At the, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's beautiful. But uh, I was really struck by the antiquities in Egypt. It really resonated with me. And I've, I've been back 12 times and uh, just really got obsessed with Egypt. So, uh, yeah, Egypt and Venice both. They're, you know, I like a lot of different countries around the world for different reasons, but yeah, those are probably my two favorites. Is there a country that you can think of that uh, if you never go back there, you'd probably be okay with it? <laughs> yeah, there's probably several of those. Uh, I, had, uh, I had a flight. I was supposed to join a ship, I believe, in Yemen, and we had uh, difficulty with a plane. We got grounded in the Arab Emirates somewhere, and... Uh, they fixed the plane, but I missed my ship. And I called the port agent, and he said, well, the ship is going on to Mumbai next. So I checked, and my plane was actually going there next anyway. So I just extended my ticket, and I flew to Mumbai. But I didn't consider the fact that I didn't have a visa to arrive in Mumbai. They would have handled that on board the ship. So I get in Mumbai, and I have no visa to arrive there, and so they're not letting me out of the airport. So I call the cruise line, which, of course, they're, you know, 12 hours out of sync. It was probably a weekend or something as well, and so I couldn't get anybody to handle it for me. And so I spent 24 hours in the terminal at the gate, actually. It's a 24-hour airport. 
And so I'm, I bought a shirt in the gift shop and I'm (laughs) bathing in the restroom and, you know, trying to eat out of the gift shop or out of the, you know, it was horrible. No air conditioning at the time. It was just miserable. It was the worst 24 hours of my life. And uh, they were going to deport me. And after 24 hours in that airport, I was kind of welcoming it. Uh, (laughs) Except uh, if you get deported, you never can go back, which case, you know, you'll never work a ship out of there again. So you don't really want to burn that bridge. But uh, yeah, after 24 hours, I was pretty much done with uh, Mumbai Airport. (laughs) It was pretty miserable. So uh, yeah. What was the, uh, you told me at breakfast about some flight you had with... um Going across Africa and nine flights or some kind of crazy thing. What was tell that story? Okay, well it wasn't nine; it was only five. But yeah, I was supposed to uh, join a ship. Well, I was getting off a ship in um, Kenya and uh, getting on another ship two days later in Senegal, and they uh, they called me up and said uh, we're going to have to cancel the ship out of Senegal because we can't figure out how to get you there which I found to be ridiculous. So I called a travel agent and I said, okay, uh, I'm getting off here. I'm flying there. I've, I've got two days to get there. Can you get me there? And so they called me back and said, well, you're going to just miss the flight. It leaves at eight. And I was arriving at eight. Uh, and the next one isn't for three days. So you're just missing that, but we can get you there. Uh, you just have to, you know, take a different kind of flight it's going to take you longer to get there no problem if you can get me there you do it so i I called cruise line they said you do it we'll reimburse you so i called the travel agent back book it i get the ticket i had to make five stops i went ethiopia to chad chad to niger niger to mali mali i think to senegal there might have been another stop in there i don't know but it was insane and uh, I I was really expecting goats and chickens on the plane. It was it was a very small plane. Uh, people were barefoot with mud between their toes, and uh, it was uh, it was definitely unique experience. But you made it. Yes, I made it. And uh, if if they had booked me on that flight, I would have been really mad at them. <laughs> but I did it to myself. But I got the gig. Okay, now we get to the cruise horror stories. Give me the roughest waters you've ever been in like biggest waves and rocking of the ship or something now it'd be a toss-up um the north sea in a small ship uh 200 passenger ship in the north sea with 40 foot waves uh 40 foot yeah yeah very small ship for that kind of waves uh and of course my cabin was the very front of the ship and uh i called it the linda blair experience because the uh furniture was flying around the room i was levitating up off of the bed (laughs) uh, it was uh it was pretty bad uh also the tasman sea almost every time i seem to hit the tasman sea between australia and new zealand pretty rough weather there and that's uh that's been consistent for me i seem to always hit bad weather there but uh yeah those are the two i would say the roughest weather did you ever, I mean, what happens when it's really super bad? Do they, like, confine people to their rooms? Do they cancel all the shows? Do they, what do they do? Are people just heaving in the in the hallways? What's happening? They uh, they cancel a production show and call me and say, you're on. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so uh, I'll be down there doing a show for 10 people that are, you know, the ones that have cruised a million years and don't get seasick. Uh, I had one show uh, where they had just had a wave 
so bad it came up and crashed against a window in the showroom, broke out the showroom window. And so they moved the 10 people at the show to the stage right side of the room and stage left side of the room. They had workmen over there trying to hammer and drill and nail plywood up to cover the window while I'm on stage. While I'm on stage, I'm trying to make people laugh and they're over there boarding up. (laughs) Boom, 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 boom. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And uh, and I had a cruise director, you know, call me up and said, "Why why are you calling me?" You know, (laughs) and uh, because I've got to bring people up onto the stage as volunteers, and they can't stand or walk. You know, it's very hard for them to come up there with me. And uh, he said, "Well, it wouldn't be fair to the the comedian because he's got to make them laugh." And I'm like, "Well, what do you think I'm doing?" You know, I mean. So, but he was uh, real good friends with the comedian and didn't particularly like me. So, gotcha. you know, <laughs> I had my roughest sea was in uh, in uh, Antarctica on the Drake Passage going through, and yeah, it was one of the roughest nights. And of course, that was when I had to do my show. I had to sit down for about half of it because I, I was kept, I was actually weaving, and I was like, you know, I'm, I got to sit down for the rest of this. Cause I was just, yeah, there's a piano behind me that was kind of sliding back and forth there was it, yeah it was rough man um have you ever been on one where there was like big like a sickness outbreak or any kind of quarantine or anything like that yeah well let me go back to the the, the antarctica thing first uh because while i didn't encounter a lot of the the pitching and all that uh it was probably the most drastic as far as listing uh and i did see you know people walking at what appeared to be almost a 45 degree angle i mean and stuff was sliding and falling over because it was such a drastic angle and uh, i was trying to take pictures to capture it it's so bizarre to see people leaning at such a drastic angle uh you know but uh yeah uh it's um what was the question (laughs) any uh kind of sickness or any you've been quarantined or anything Oh yeah, it's always notorious. Surprisingly, you know, the uh, noroviruses happens like I used to live in Vegas. It happens in hotels there all the time, but you just don't hear about it because people don't stay cooped up like they do on a ship. They they come in, they spread it, they leave, and uh, airplanes as well. They say I heard that you know if, if you stayed in an airplane as long as you stay on a cruise ship, we'd all be getting sick at some point because it's just that confined. Too many people in one place, you know, touching the same stuff and everything else. Exactly. But yeah, it, it does happen on ships. I've seen it. Uh, amazingly, in 27 years, I've never had it. I've, I've had my steward have it, uh, and, which you would think would be, you know, yeah. he's handling all your stuff. You'd think you'd get it for sure after a steward had it. But uh, I think uh, I've just been exposed so much, I've kind of built up a good immunity, immunity to it out here. But yeah, I've seen pretty bad ones. The worst uh, being one they actually canceled the cruise for. And uh, th- everybody got off the ship in Hawaii and the ship sailed back to the mainland empty uh, and with the whole crew doing nothing but sanitizing all the way back. So, uh, And I was one of the lucky few that got to get off uh, actually before they kicked all the passengers off. So... Uh, I got off that ship and I was I never been, was so happy to see a ship sail away in my life. Uh, actually, got off, went to a luau and watched the ship sail away, and I was that was beautiful to see. I'll tell you, because uh, oh, it was miserable. And they had stopped allowing entertainers to eat in the in the buffet, and uh, we were down eating the crew food, which you know I really respect those guys now, having yeah. had to do that. So uh, and you know they probably you know. 
they're used to that much rice, et cetera, but it's not my not your bag. Not my thing. Yeah. You've seen in in the times you've been doing it. Well, I mean, I feel out of touch, you know, with the slow internet and everything else. And but phones and the internet really changed traveling. I mean, not just on land, but especially on ships too. But I mean, if I feel out of touch now, I can't imagine what it was like when before this, you must have felt like you were on Mars or something. Nobody could reach you, right? Oh, it was insane. Uh, I've always been kind of a, a tech guy. Uh, I was early adopter of everything. So I was on the internet pretty quick and it was painful to be on the internet and be in Europe or wherever on a ship and not be able to connect. Although Europe was a little better probably than the US as far as adopting cellular and all that. But initially... I would get off a ship in in a country and I would spend the first half of the day in that port walking all over the port trying to find uh, an internet cafe or a library or someplace that had any kind of dial-up internet access. And that was what you did with your days back then is try to find a place to get internet access. And then when cell came along with internet, it was such a godsend. It's unbelievable. And right now, we complain about how slow it is, but it's so much better than having to get off and go look for it. But to this day, I mean, we get used to high-speed internet on land, and we come out here, and it's, it's so frustratingly slow by satellite, especially at night when the crew gets off duty and they all want to go yeah. Skype the Philippines or whatever. And uh, I really beg for the people in Silicon Valley that are putting everything in the cloud and making us all dependent on the cloud, I beg for them to come out and have to do all of their cloud stuff via this horribly slow satellite internet so they can get an idea of how we live and how horrible it is to try to do that. I don't know the tech world and how it works, but I mean, I got to assume the reason they haven't done it is either... Uh, probably both, that A, it's really expensive to put it on the ship. B, it's a lot of people using the same thing and overloading the system, using the same broadband or whatever, Wi-Fi. But C, I think it's a way for them to charge more in some ways. I I don't know. What what do you think it is? Why, I mean, it, it seems like it should be easier. I haven't been on any of these new ships like 6000 passenger ships or anything like that but i mean are they better i mean i haven't have you done any of those well i don't know i noticed uh they i haven't done this but i've noticed that for the passengers they offer a package for like 30 bucks a day or something where they can get streaming speed supposedly where they can stream videos uh, I haven't done that, so I don't know if that's really true. I would assume if they're charging 30 bucks a day, they're actually getting that speed. I don't know. You better hope. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Uh, so perhaps they are able to do it, and they just want to get the big money for it. Right. Uh, well, they don't even offer that to us, probably because they know we're not going to pay it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I would, actually, on occasions. You know, I have something that I need to download. I would pay that on occasion. But uh, our speed is so pathetically slow that it's very frustrating, and uh, it's it just very aggravating when you have stuff that, you, you know, someone in Silicon Valley has decided that you have to do it via the cloud, and they just have no clue. They, they live in a land where they have, you know, incredibly fast internet 24-7. They have no idea how we live, and they don't care. <laughs> I always love it watching the teenagers on board. 
Because they're just dying, you know, with no Wi-Fi. I mean, little kids can always entertain themselves with, you know, they can jump in the pool or anything. But the teenagers, oh, to see them go around the ship all of a sudden, because we don't think about it, teenagers are not used to ever having to be bored. You know what I mean? They always have something to look at and stimulate. The, and now they're really kind of forced to, I don't know, be humans, be human beings and have to, like, you know, talk to somebody or read or entertain themselves. It's really bizarre. But, I mean, before internet even existed, say, like, before middle of the 90s, to be on a ship, I mean, you were really gone. Did you mail letters? I mean, what did you do when you wanted to reach somebody back up, find a, a phone line in St. Thomas or something? Uh, initially, we had telex, okay. which was extremely expensive per word. And uh, and if they tried to send it and it didn't go, you still had to pay for it and they would try again and it got more expensive. And so you could send a sentence and pay 20 bucks just to send one sentence. It, it was really bizarre. Uh, so... Yeah, that was really bad back then, and fortunately, it's gotten way better since then, but, you know, we still grumble. Here it is, you know. I went from spending all day looking for a place to find internet to getting it on cellular to, you know, being able to sit in the bathroom of my cabin and get it via cellular, and I'm still complaining. It's too slow. (laughs) The price of progress. Um, In terms of the size of these cruise ships... They just keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. In your mind, is bigger better, or do you kind of miss the old smaller ships? Well, it's kind of a double-edged sword. Uh, there's something nice about the the little ships. Uh, it they were there was a saying on the small ships that if you repeated gossip on one end of the ship and ran as fast as you could to the other end of the ship, you would hear it being repeated at the other end. Uh, you couldn't do anything on those <laughs> ships back then. I was single and dating and, you know, uh, it's everybody knew everybody's business. And it's not like that at all really anymore because, you know, everybody's kind of clickish. The departments kind of stay to themselves and uh, they don't mingle like they used to. All corporate, no. Uh, well, that too, yeah. But uh, like each department uh, kind of stays to themselves. The dancers kind of hang out with dancers, et cetera. In the old days, all the crew kind of hung out with all the crew and you mingled more because uh, there was less of them. You know? <laughs> but uh, on the big ships now, you can come on board and be there a couple of weeks and run into somebody you knew from another ship and you don't realize they've been on board with you for two weeks because the ship is so big, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the crowds are, are bigger. Uh, you know, comics sometimes don't like that. They like a smaller, intimate crowd. I like a big crowd, more more applause, more laughter. Um, it's generally the uh, the food options are better on a bigger ship. There's, there's certain things to be said for a bigger ship. Um, generally, they're a little bit nicer in, in amenities because they're newer. The, the newer the ship, the nicer they've made them. Um, obviously the company's making more money. They're only paying for one captain and, you know, one entertainer or et cetera. (laughs) So there's more profit to be made. Um, the smaller ships were able to get into some more unique places, smaller, smaller ports. I do kind of like some of those places you used to be able to go. Favorite island in the Caribbean? St. Martin. Why? I like uh, Orient Beach. Uh, oh, so you love Egypt so much for people looking for travel tips to Egypt. Where do you recommend other than the, you know, obviously you go see the pyramids and everything like that, but is there a way to do it right? 
what's a common mistake people make when they go to Egypt? Well, I I don't know. Um, I the first couple times I went on the ship's tour, and then after I got a little more secure, I last time I went got some other entertainers. We hired a guy to take us in, and that of course was going to be nicer to be on our own and away from all the guests and we could do what we wanted and i found that to be way better way to go especially like in in beijing etc you know you you have a lot more freedom except uh in going into cairo it's a long drive and we had uh, our car break down we're out in the middle of the desert and we were lucky that it broke down on the way to cairo not on the way back because you know it's possible to be stuck in the desert and miss the ship coming back and so that is a little bit scary. Whereas if you're on a ship tour, they wouldn't leave you. Yeah. Uh, and we very well could have been left. So uh, that's a little bit of a scary thing right there. I don't know. I don't know that I would do it again that way. I really liked doing it, but that's being stuck in the desert in Egypt is a, kind of a scary thought. Plus, you're, you're, it's a little more dangerous in Egypt these days, too. And, uh, I kind of like the safety and security of being with a ship's tour there. So have you had any kind of uh, run-ins concerning safety? Have you ever been robbed? Any uh, any been roughed up or any scary uh, moments? I had an encounter uh, in uh, Istanbul with uh, pickpockets who uh, approached myself and uh, Dave Diebel, who is uh, a juggler, very small stature guy and uh they uh, approached him and he immediately reached for his wallet and said my wallet and i assumed that they had taken it and i took off chasing these two guys and they're like 20 you know yeah. <laughs> and so i'm chasing him through the streets of istanbul and we went several blocks and of course i'm not able to keep up hardly and and Finally, the guys leaped over the hood of a car, and that at that point I stopped. I realized there's no way I'm going to catch these guys. I'm not leaping over cars. <laughs> and uh, after having chased them for several blocks, I I come back and catch up to David, and he still had his wallet. They hadn't actually gotten it. So <laughs> here I am chasing these guys for nothing, and uh, and them running for nothing. And what I would have done with them once I caught them, yeah. I have no idea. But, uh, yeah, there's been, you know, I've, I've had my uh, wallet picked in uh, Barcelona. Um, you are literally, in, in the years of doing this, maybe the sixth person I, who said they've gotten robbed in Barcelona. And it's always like pickpocketing or having their stuff stolen on the beach or something. Yeah, the beach is, is uh, notorious. I, I uh, had just been to the ATM, got some... Uh, Spanish money it was before the, uh, before the euro. euro, yeah. So I just got because you had to go to every country and get money yeah. on, back then. It was a little more difficult. So I just gone to the ATM, got some cash, and uh, I went to the beach and uh, I was laying in the sun. And I had uh, a little bit of thirst. I saw a guy walking down the street with a cooler. Stopped him, got a coke, and so he sees where I've got my money, and uh, so. I get my Coke. He walks back and forth a couple times, and then he comes and sits down near me, and he's staring at me. And so I'm just thinking, well, he's probably just gay, and I just dismiss it. And uh, I fall asleep, 
and I'm I'm on a lounge chair, but I've got my my pants rolled up underneath the lounge chair, and he's just waiting for me to fall asleep. And when I did, he just pulled my pants out of there and took the wallet, pulled the cash out of the wallet, and was gone. And uh, and you know I figured this all out in retrospect, but there was people you know twenty feet away from me in all directions. It was a crowded beach, and it didn't bother him at all yeah. that there's people all around watching. I don't know. It's amazing how bold they are. At least you were safe. That's all he took. You didn't have to chase two kids down the street and then get beat up later. Naples is my favorite story, actually. Okay, here we go. Uh, okay, so uh, I'm I'm walking down the street in Naples. Uh, there's a guy on the street corner selling. Uh, telephones, like a, a cellular phone. And this is the Razor. I don't know if you remember yeah, the yeah. Motorola Razor back in the day before smartphones. It was, uh, it was a flip phone, very thin, very sleek, very uh, cool phone for its day. And uh, so he, he was selling it for an amazing price. And so uh, I think I gave him a, a hundred and I think I gave him a hundred dollars for it. And uh, I watched him close. It, it, uh, it, was, it came with an extra battery and all this. I watched him put it in a box, put the box in a bag, uh, tied a knot in the, the bag. And bef- just before he gave it to me, he, I was leaning against a wall, and he reached over and touched my shoulder as if to tell me I was leaning against wet paint or something. And uh, I looked behind me to see what I'm leaning against and didn't see anything, didn't know what he's talking about, but he's speaking Italian. What do I know? And uh, the bandmaster is with me. He doesn't know what's going on either. He's looking to see what I'm leaning against as well. Great misdirection. And uh, as a magician, you can appreciate his work. Well, that's exactly it. That's the thing. So, uh, so he gives me the thing. We walk around the corner. Just because of that little interaction, it piqued my curiosity. So I opened the bag, and sure enough, inside the bag is a box full of sand. And uh, so I, I was mad because the guy got my hundred bucks, but I was also very impressed that he misdirected a magician. And uh, and I wouldn't be telling this story today because I'd be embarrassed that I was fooled. But uh, what he didn't know is that I'm there every cruise all summer long. And so I figured he's probably got his favorite spots and that's got to be one of them. And so I went back every cruise and the third time back, I spotted him. So I held up my map in front of me, typical tourist, so he wouldn't recognize me, and I would look like a tourist. <laughs> and I walked right up to him, and he held out the phone to try to sell it to me, and I just pulled it right out of his hand and said, thank you, I already paid for this. And um, so now we're having a discussion on the street. Uh-huh. And so I know he's got an accomplice, whoever switched the phone with him while he was misdirecting, and so I don't want to get into a you know a big brawl because this time it was just myself and uh so he's trying to lure me up the alley and i'm going no way and he starts to give me a hassle and so i just started to yell polizia <laughs> at which point out came the money and uh he gave me 120 dollars for the phone back and uh, which i made 20 bucks on the deal and uh <laughs> So did he for sure recognize you from before, or did he just say, this guy just stole this out of my hand? He he knew it was you. Oh, he knew it was me, and I think he knew enough English to know exactly what was going on. He knew, you know, he had taken me and, you know. But you know, in the movie version, you, instead of just taking it from me, you would have done a, like a, a better magic trick. You, you should have one-upped him in a misdirection and just say, is this your card? And then he's gone, and you know, boom. 
Something. Yeah, that, I probably the dog comes out. Or something. Yeah, that would have made it for a better story, probably. But my main concern is I didn't want to wind up in a police station oh, no. because his Italian is way better than mine, and I'd be in jail and he wouldn't. So, uh, yeah. But uh, in Napoli, you never know. He could be the mob. You know, you 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 know that's you're probably best uh, just taking your win and leaving. Absolutely. And it's funny. I, I found another little uh, place just a few blocks away where the guy was selling the same phone. And uh, I asked him how much, and I said, okay, great, I'll take it. And so he starts to put in a bag. I said, no, I'll just take it like it is. And all of a sudden, the price went up. Apparently, if you actually get the phone, it costs way more. (laughs) (laughs) And also, let's not uh, rule out that maybe buying a phone on the street from a guy, probably not the best idea in the world. (laughs) This is true. Uh, Very true. Travel smarts and street smarts. Maybe this isn't a wise move. So let that be a lesson to everybody out there. Don't buy, buy a phone from a guy on the street in an unmarked bag. Although I love the thought of the sand in the box, and that's pretty good. That's a pretty good move. Um, if you is there some place in the world that you haven't been and you want to go to? Uh, yeah, Easter Island. Uh, surprisingly, it's one of the only places I have not been. And my grandfather was a stone carver and uh, a sculptor, and he had carved uh, the replicas of the the easter island heads and what's kind of interesting is i i have a couple of those carvings of the easter island head that my grandfather did but he did not know nor did anyone else up until just a few years ago that there's actually bodies under the heads back then we all just thought they were heads and uh so it's kind of funny and now i would really like to go just to, to see the the head and the thing underneath the head. Uh, it has always been a fascination with me because I've had those heads my whole life that my grandfather carved back when I was just a little kid. Did they? I've heard about it, but uh, I mean, we've all seen the photos, but I don't know anybody who's gone there because it's so difficult to get to. It's really way out there. Do, do cruises go there? Yes, they do. They're generally... Uh, crossing between like south america and australia or something they're they're, huge cross yeah quite often it'll be like on a world cruise or something like that and uh so i they always give me the last week of a world cruise which is always miserable because they've seen a hundred other magicians now and they you know it's really hard to impress them they've seen everything they're not impressed by anything uh the the last one i did uh I came in and I said, my agent called me and asked me if I wanted to do the end of the world cruise. And I said, no, I should be with my family at a time like that. <laughs> How old are the people on a world cruise? I mean, they got to be ancient. They are. They're, they're, uh, they're deceased. They really are. <laughs> they're, uh, and it's really difficult if you want to use volunteers because they're not getting up. If they, if they made it into the showroom, the only time they're getting up is to leave the showroom. They're not, not coming up on stage or, or even standing up where they are. It's not, not going to happen. So it's brutal. Uh, so do you have a, um, we should probably wrap it up right now, but do you have uh, a website or something where people can find you and uh, uh, you, this is where you plug anything you want? Uh, yeah, I don't really plug much. Uh, I, in fact, I don't even really do much with my website anymore. I, I promote uh, my little dog Indy's uh, Facebook page, uh, which is uh, facebook.com slash Indy Show, I-N-D-Y-S-H-O-W. You can uh, like her page and see her photos and videos, and you can follow our show that way. Has any ship or any kind of plane or anything like that, do you, do you carry her on? 
I mean, she's for people. Uh, well, you don't know this, but Indy is a little tiny. What what breed of dog is it? She's a Coton de Tulliar. It's because uh, in height, I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, Coton is French for cotton, and Tulliar is the port in Madagascar where they come from. They they descended from the Bichon. They're they're very smart. They uh, do circus tricks, etc. Very kind of a rare breed, but uh, they were just. Uh, I believe they were a couple years ago. They were winners on. Uh, uh, America's Got Talent, and uh, they're uh, they're very smart dogs. So I had a f- friends who were living in Hong Kong, and they have a small dog, kind of looks a lot like Indy, um, but just bringing her over from the states, they had to do all the stuff at the vet and get these shots and everything else. Is carrying her over borders a problem? Uh, some places, uh, Hawaii is probably the worst. Hawaii has a ridiculous quarantine. Uh, I can sail from. LA to Hawaii and back with her. I just can't fly into Hawaii with her. So, like a couple of cruises ago, uh, were you on the Hawaii cruise for, to here or whatever? No. Uh, okay. So, uh, this this ship did Hawaii just recently, and I had to get off for it because uh, I can only do the whole thing, and they want me to just do half of it, and I can't fly in or out of Hawaii with the dog. So uh, it's yeah, it's kind of awkward because uh yeah hawaii is real strict uh, some countries real easy canada mexico very simple uh, a lot of europeans countries uh, very simple some caribbean countries easier than others uh, but to make matters easier they tend to book me out of the u.s or canada mexico if possible do you carry her on yes yeah, so she always goes yeah carry on i would never never check her um, if you ever had any thought about checking your dog and underneath, just uh, imagine being on that plane that landed in the Hudson. Yeah. Not not cool. Uh, they actually have a uh, a switch in the cockpit that they actually call the puppy kill switch. If they have any issues on the flight, and they have to sometimes decompress the cargo compartment. And that kills all the pets that are down there. Oh, that's a that's a horrible thought. Yeah, it truly is, and that's why I would never, never, ever check my pet down below. It's it's you know, I don't imagine it happens a lot, but the fact that it could is beyond my willingness to let that happen. I've talked to magicians who've traveled with all sorts of like birds. And anything like that, was it always a dog, or did you work with other animals? I started with birds. Uh, that seems like a pain in the ass. Definitely was. Uh, <laughs> I had doves initially, and they wake up when the sun comes up, and that is way before my wake-up time. <laughs> they start cooing, and it's annoying. Um, but they, uh, they, with the avian flu, they kind of crack down on that. You can't really fly with birds anymore. Uh, a friend of mine had... Uh, uh, a gig books at the Lido in Paris, and just before he was going to fly there to do the gig, they changed the laws, and he was not able to take his trained cockatoo that would fly, or I guess it was a scarlet macaw. Um, he had trained it to produce it, and it would he'd throw it and fly out over the crowd circle and come back to him, and uh, it was a beautiful act. And just before he was going to go, they changed the law, and he couldn't take it out of the country. And so he lost the gig because they changed the law. And uh, and I have a friend, uh, uh, Ed Fernandez, a hypnotist, who had been an illusionist before that. And he had a a big cat that he was working with out of the country, South America. 
he had it down there for a couple of years, and while he was working out of the country with it, they changed the law on how long you could have the cat out of the country before you could bring it back in, and he wasn't able to bring the cat back in then because they changed the law. And it was so frustrating to him that he had to give up this cat. This cat was not just a big part of his show. It was like his pet now, you know. And uh, in order to come back, he wound up having to leave the cat behind. And he gave up doing illusions, became a hypnotist. Uh, you know, it's very drastic. But... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's difficult traveling with animals. Luckily, the dog is relatively easy. Just generally, all they really need to see is a, a proof that the dog has had a, a rabies shot. And uh, some countries require a titer that shows that they have active rabies uh, antibodies in their blood. It's a little more expensive test, but it's generally pretty simple. You were a Vegas resident for many, many years. Give us and give the people who go to Vegas uh, the best show recommendation you can give if they want to see a show. Of course, David Copperfield's there. Everybody knows him. Is there like a, maybe a less expensive option or something like that? I mean, maybe someone we don't know? You know, I haven't uh, been to Vegas for a while. I've been working ships so much lately. Um, I, To be honest, what I do when I go to Vegas is I go to the Coke bottle on the Strip. And there's a couple other spots. Uh, there's one at Circus Circus. Uh, they have discount tickets that, like that are, yeah, it's like a half price tickets for the shows. Shows that haven't sold out, they discount for like half price that day. And you show up, and they, it's just like a movie theater box office almost. They have a little marquee up above the ticket office there. You can see all the different shows that they have discounted for today. And you can get great deals on a lot of really good shows. Uh, you know, there's only generally people like Celine Dion, those people generally sell out without having to discount. But you still get some really good tickets for great prices there. So that would be my recommendation. Like Circuit de Soleil and Penn and Teller. Have you seen them lately? Love Penn and Teller. Absolutely my favorite. Uh, I was just talking to them uh, this year about uh, doing their show. I was kind of having a conflict with my time to uh, come back on a ship and logistics trying to get onto their show and do a, a, a trick that I was, <laughs> was really going to be cool to do in their show, and uh, we didn't quite get that worked out, but uh, I would really like to do the, the Fool Us show next year. It's, uh, I love that show. So in terms of, I always like to ask uh, fellow performers, <laughs> just for fun, at the end, give me your worst, doesn't have to be ships, doesn't, it could be anywhere, your worst hell gig story where you showed up, you saw the stage, it was the worst you said, this is it. This is the worst night I'm having, and I'll always remember this one. <laughs> uh, just one? Oh, yeah, you can pick one of your favorites. <laughs> uh, I would say probably it was a, uh, a little comedy night held at a hotel in Simi Valley, California. And it was, it was held in a banquet hall, and... Unfortunately, that weekend we were up against a tractor pull, which in Simi Valley, surprisingly, was really tough competition. And so we had three acts, and we had two cocktail waitresses, and we had one couple show up for the show. And we had a hotel manager who knew nothing about entertainment, and he said, the show must go on. 
So we had two cocktail waitresses and three acts entertaining two one, people. Two people. <laughs> and uh, and so, I mean, I use like 10 volunteers in my show. So doing a show for one couple, a little difficult, you know. So I, I just got off the stage and, you know, kind of turned it into a close-up show. I came down to their table and did something totally different than we planned. And uh, so then we were supposed to do a second show. And we had another couple show up. And we ran them off. We told them the show was closed, and was, we they ran up. We ran them off before the manager saw them. Fortunately, and we were able to cancel the second show, or we would have had to do it oh, again. Yeah. I love this. The colleges would always do that too. They say you're supposed to do an hour. It's like there's nobody here. What do you? What do you? You did 55 minutes. Yeah, it, and it was it was probably 50 longer than I should have done. It just yeah, they can't figure it out. Um, well, finally, what do you think all this travel? And what you've seen around the world and all the places you've been, how has it changed you as a person? And maybe how has it changed how you look at people and the world? Oh, wow. It's, it's changed me a lot. I, I highly recommend travel for everyone. It uh, really makes you feel small when you see how big the world is. Um, flying in over some of these cities like uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, or whatever, and you see just how big these cities are, how many people there are in the world, you, you start to feel really small. Um, encountering all these different cultures, you really gain a whole new respect for just people, their lifestyles. Um, I you know, I have certain opinions about how certain cultures are when I interact with them, but that when I see how they live in their country, I, I get that that's their culture and, you know, you can't really blame them for how they act around us when that's the way they are in their country. You know, so it just kind of, it enlightens you immensely. And uh, it's, you really feel kind of small minded when you just live in your country and you don't get out and, and experience the rest of the world. So, Highly recommend travel for everyone. I, it's kind of hard to imagine how anybody cannot get out and see the rest of the world. Well, there you go, folks. If you want to see Jeff Peterson uh, take a cruise, <laughs> Where, are you going to be mostly Holland America uh, re coming up or in the next few months? Or? Uh, who knows? I'll go anywhere somebody wants to pay me. <laughs> I like that in a guy. He can be bought, folks. Okay, Jeff Peterson, everyone. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you very much. Yeah.